You're listening to the Cycling Podcast Femina. Well, hello and welcome to the Cycling Podcast Feminine. And I'm joined oh, this month, sugar. as always. Oh, all is gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rose, we, we were joined by, by me, Lizzie Bangs and Orla, but I mean, she disappeared just as we were starting our introduction. That's well. so. <laughs> She's back. She's back. I mean, I mean, um, it wasn't that we covered everything in our pre-podcast chat, but I kind of thought, oh, we're done now. <laughs> no, sorry, I didn't, know what just, uh... I didn't know what happened there. But yes, hello, hello, hello. Hello, Orla. Orla just hopped off of uh, our WhatsApp call there and has just, uh, ever the professional, just hopped back on. <laughs> if we hadn't made such a, a deal of it, Lizzie, then no one, no one, <laughs> none of the listeners would have known, would they? Um, but yes, Orla, I mean, I was going to say two women who have been very busy on the cycling scene in a different way. All the people are going to feel like they, they haven't missed you because you've been in their living rooms yeah. every day, haven't you? I know. Sorry about that. If people are trying to get a break from me right now, if you're a cycling fan, it's a bit hard to get away. Never. Imagine what it's like for my husband. You're basically living like my husband right now um, without any of the washing up. Yeah, I've been on the men's Giro d'Italia for the last three and a bit weeks, haven't I? So um, all of my focus really has been on the men's racing in terms of the detail of the in and the out. But there's been so much women's racing at the same time. And not only, this is what I was saying, wasn't it, before we started recording, not just any old racing. It's been such fun to watch. So I came back from the men's Giro absolutely exhausted because I'm like, I, I can't keep my eyeballs and my brain on so much racing. Well, obviously the men have had their first uh, Grand Tour, but obviously the women have also mm. had their first Grand Tour and I, you know, me and Lizzie uh, did the a very special Arrive episode to cover the Vuelta Femenina which has uh, already been but Lizzie you've been back racing since haven't you and I don't want to talk to you too much about it right now because obviously we're going to talk to Lizzie lots at the end of the episode about uh, going to the Joe Martin stage race and returning to racing and being back with her teammates and Woo-hoo. how that has been so you have one sentence Lizzie to um, you know encapsulate how that was can i just say watch out watch out peloton <laughs> oh no, yeah i like oh. it oh yeah baby i'm on my way back, she back. <laughs> i'm not I'm, i wouldn't say i'm back yeah i would say i'm i'm on the way but um yeah i hold out till the end of the episode because we'll have a chat about that later and um i'm off for more racing in belgium uh on saturday actually well leaving on saturday racing on sunday so um tell you all about that at the end of the episode well, I, I love, Lizzie, that we gave you one sentence to explain it and you decided just to threaten the whole peloton uh, with that one <laughs> yeah. opportunity You're, that you you're using your words wisely. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as you say, we'll talk a bit more about that. But first, we'll try and get through the mountain of... Oh, mountain. I guess that's the, the right word for it. Uh, of, uh, <laughs> like you hadn't planned that, Rose. I like how you're pretending like you've surprised yourself for that pun. Oh, did I say mountain? Oh, I just checked my notes while the next pun is come up. Mountain of uh, stage racing that has been. So let's have all this news roundup. It's going to be a big, chunky, jazz fusion uh, news roundup, isn't it, today? Because we're going to kind of discuss all the the ins and outs of the races as we go. But roll them off, Orla, roll them off. I will. Yeah, we've decided to discuss it as we go because there's too much, really, to leave it all Mm. to the end. So... I'm hoping I stay in this call as I move into my notes because I do need my notes for this. 
Because there's been so much, as you say, we've had the Vuelta Femenina. You've already done, um, covered that race in your amazing Arrivé episode. So I'll just mention it briefly because it was the first big stage race of the season, a grand tour if we choose to call it that. There was so much drama. Annemiek van Vleuten took the overall. We had stage wins for Jumbo Visma in the team time trial. Charlotte Cole, uh, Mariana Voss took two stages. Demi Vollering, we had uh, Guy Realini and Demi Vollering with the finale um, stage as well. All the drama, all the beef, all the tea was served up by Demi Vollering and Annemiek van Vleuten. And if you have missed any of that conversation and controversy, I urge you to go back and watch it and catch the Arrivé episode because I thought it was thrilling and really interesting, really interesting. Um, But anyway, you've covered that, so I will move on to the Itzulia woman, which was a barnstormer for SD Works. Spoiler alert, a lot of the races will come across that way. But Itzulia was a sign of huge promise for Canyon Shram. All three stages and the overall were won by SD Works riders. Demi Vollering with the first two, Marlon Reuser with the stage and the overall, as well as a podium for Reuser in all three stages. But we also had two podium finishes and a GC podium for Canyon Shram with Cassia Neviadoma finishing third overall behind Demi Vollering and also taking a third place on stage one with Soraya Paladin finishing second on stage two. So plenty to give us hope for Canyon Shram, dot, dot, dot. We'll pick up on that later. On to the Vuelta Burgos Feminas. And I'm presuming we're going to jazz freestyle here because... Um, well, it was another way you could look at the results and be guilty of thinking that Essie Works's strength would be a yawn fest and move on. But that's where you would be wrong because there was drama and incredible racing aplenty. This is where cycling can be so deceptive when it comes to the end result in relation to the actual action. Stage one went to Lorraine of Ibis with an increasingly inform Chloe Digart finishing third. And I mentioned her for a reason, another dot, dot, dot that's coming up later. Stage two then, uh, this looked like it was Lorena Vibus taking the win, leading an SC Works 1-2 with Damien second and Digart in third. But Vibus was relegated for a move in the final climb to the line. She finished in third with Damien taking the win and Digart in second. Now, I'm really keen to hear what you both thought of this because... What happened to anybody watching? They were on the final climb. It was a cobbled climb, a kick rather than a climb, I guess. Um, and it looked like Lorena Vibus's back wheel slipped slightly on the smooth bit of road in between the cobbles. She was then regaining incredibly well, I thought, her balance of the bike and um, sort of shouldered into Chloe Digart. Um, that's the move that she was relegated for because it could have looked like a barge. To me, it looked like an amazing recovery and I thought she'd done very well with that. Something akin to, I can't remember which stage now already, but the Mark Cavendish almighty crash at the Giro d'Italia where his back wheel slipped uh, and he ended up wiping himself out and a few others and and slid across the line in fourth. Um, now, as I'm saying that, I'm not sure if it's the heat or my comment that's making Lizzie scrunch her face up but I'm not <laughs> sure that you're agreeing with me that this was just an accident on Lorena Vivas's part and she was unfairly punished because I really thought that she recovered that really well. 
Actually, all of it was something completely different because I managed to uh, time the spin cycle of my washing machine perfectly with our podcasting. So I'm sitting outside <laughs> in the garden and there's a few cars that are going past and some aggressive birds tweeping. And as the cars were going past, I was scrunching my face up thinking, I really hope that's not bothering the listeners. But no, it's it's very interesting that you said that, that you know, the likeness to the, the Mark Cavendish crash where he flew across the line. Because as you were saying about, you know, her wheel potentially slipping on the on the cobblestones, I thought exactly the same thing because that's exactly what happened to Mark Cavendish in that stage of the Giro where he, you know, very famously crossed that finish line photo flying <laughs> yeah. through the air. Still, still holding, still holding his, his hand by. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of the jury's out for me on, on this one, which is unusual for me, I guess, <laughs> um, because it was a pretty big old smash into Chloe Digert. Um, I'm not sure it was worthy of a relegation. Um, and actually, Chloe Digert said afterwards, you know, she just felt it was a racing incident and she, you know, she didn't really feel like it was worthy of, she didn't specifically say that she didn't feel like it was worthy of relegation, but she was just like, well, you know, the commissaires have made that decision, whatever, it didn't really affect me. Um, so I don't know, you know, at the end of the day, they made that decision. There was contact. You're not supposed to make contact with another rider. So fair enough. Demi Vollering went on the podium to accept the the first place after Vibus was relegated and was up there shaking her head, um, clearly not agreeing with the decision. Um, but at the end of the day, it didn't really make any difference for SD Works because they weren't going for Vibus in the GC overall. So it's not like the bonus seconds really mattered for Vibus. And actually, it almost helped Demi Vollering even more because she got more bonus seconds and SD Works still won. So really for them, it it made no difference at all. But that's because Debbie Vollering was finished second, wasn't it? I mean, I didn't think that Diger looked particularly Bothered. impeded um, yeah. or, you know, she wasn't, you know, normally when you see someone come off their line in a sprint or something, there's a lot of gesticulating, lots yeah, of and hands and shouting. And, and, mm. I mean, there was, not, there was, you know, none of that from Chloe Diger. I didn't think that she looked, I mean, she was also, it was kind of like a narrow strip of kind of smooth, um, but must have been very slippery kind of stone with cobbles either side. And kind of Diger was taking the cobbled line up to be kind of shoulder to shoulder uh, with Lorena Vibus. So if anything, Vibus kind of, when she slipped, went off, you know, into the rougher um, ground. It's not like Vibus pushed Diger off of the smoother uh, pathway, if you know what I mean. So... Um, I didn't think that Diger looked like she was particularly um, impeded, but you know, as Lizzie says, it, 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 these things are, are technical things. You know, it, it's not it, when the jury's looking at these things, they're not considering um, all the p- potential consequences or you know how someone felt or whatever. They're they're taking it as you know, was there how much contact was there? Was it an odd place to have contact? And yes, there was, and so this is the you know, this is the penalty for for doing that, I guess. Uh, And I think that's good in a way. It almost sets a precedent because so often, um, you know, we see see relegations only made when there are actually sort of, you know, bad outcomes of a crash. You know, Mm, so somebody's relegated because somebody is really hurt rather than because they've done something really dangerous. And there are some riders who are known to be very, very dangerous in the peloton and cause a lot of crashes and don't get relegated. And perhaps incidents like that will disincline these riders to act in a dangerous manner. It's it's a difficult thing, but it is frustrating when people only get relegated because 
they've actually caused a crash rather than because they've you know had very mm. very dangerous behavior I agree entirely and, and I think that's a horrible situation anytime that it only comes down to a crash and then you see dangerous riding that doesn't cause a crash and it's it's completely permitted really but I just wonder about this one I just think what was the point because she wasn't riding deliberately dangerously her back wheel slipped and she actually managed to keep herself upright and I think even if if she had brought down Chloe Dygaard, it still would just be an unfortunate racing incident. I was just a bit perplexed by it. And I wonder as well whether the commissaires or whether you suspect from the inside, Lizzie, whether the commissaires ever look at women's racing differently from men's racing. Because when we look at the incident, and it's a very clumsy comparison because every comparison is completely imperfect. It was just that they came a few days apart. But the Mark Cavendish incident, for example, which was much, much more dramatic and did bring other riders down and did affect the outcome of the race obviously wasn't his fault either um, but there was no consideration of relegation there with Lorena Vibus it was a much it was a, a really minor incident that probably didn't affect the outcome of the race other than the fact that she was relegated and as you say Chloe Dygart seemed to think it was also in the nature of racing so is there ever do you think a way where women's racing is supposed to be or seem to be less physical because bike racing is physical and I wouldn't have thought even a bit of an elbow, you you know, you can't penalise every elbow or or you'd have to have, you know, a, a, an isolation zone around the riders. I don't know. I feel like it's more, you know, talking about it now and, you know, we've obviously had the time to look back at it, to look at it in a lot more detail. I feel like it's more of a kind of knee-jerk response. You know, you look at you, what you first see is Lorena Vibas going, bosh, I want that line, and then coming out. And then if you really take the time to look in the detail, you're like, well, actually, maybe her back wheel slipped and it was just a kind of a sideways reaction to that momentum of the bike rather than a, an, an, aggressive, um, an, an aggressive move. And so, you know, once they've made the decision, they can't then, you know, go back on that decision. Um, and, and I feel like it's more likely to be that kind of knee-jerk reaction rather than anything else. Uh. Uh, one other question I had actually was relegated to third. How often do we see that? Usually, relegation certainly in a sprint means you finish last in the stage. Well, it's well, it's because she was last in the group. So that group was those three riders, um, and you're usually relegated to the back of your group. Um, you know, because then it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have been fair for her to have been last in the stage because then her, the time would have been minutes back. She's just put on the same time that she crossed the line, but last in that group. And the, the group was only those three riders at that point crossing the line. Glad you're here, Lizzie. Thank you. Um, right. <laughs> so welcome. let's move on then, shall we? Because actually, Lorena Vivas provided us with the drama the next day as well, because stage three was an outright win for Vivas over Elisa Balsamo and Sheila Gutierrez of Movistar. This was one of the best finishes I have seen in a long time. Vibus was not even in camera shot at 800 metres to go. The brake was up the road. It looked like the peloton might catch them. Vibus went, I mean, the power and the strength that she displayed to catch them on the line and take that stage win was something... I'm not sure I've seen in a long time. It was absolutely phenomenal, wasn't it? Well, let's not forget the absolutely ridiculous lead out that that Demi Vollering did for her in order to help catch the break. But this is, I think this is quite interesting because, so, you know, I was talking to my teammates about this over in the US and and also to uh, to Morgan Costan, who rides for Crawfordus, who lives very, very near to me. And 
we, we're not seeing breaks go to the line in women's world tour racing at the moment. And it's very frustrating for the riders in the peloton or the teams in the peloton that kind of rely on those those opportunistic races, those opportunistic stages in order to be able to get the results. But whatever it is, and, and perhaps partly in the Vuelta Femenina, this was due to seven rider teams, teams like SD Works, like I said, the stronger teams getting stronger and the other teams effectively getting weaker because they just can't match these riders. Um, but anyway, these breaks were trying to go and just simply getting closed down. But finally, uh, on stage three of Vuelta Burgos, we had a, a really... A good break uh, went in the last 30, 35 kilometers, I think. Looked like it might get to the line. And for some reason, the other teams decided to help SD Works out with the chase. And really interestingly, actually, there was a- an interview with with Grace Brown done by our colleagues over at Escape Collective. Uh, they were asking her about SD Works' dominance and particularly about uh, the Vuelta Burgos because you know, Grace sort of said that it wasn't a great week over there. And um, Grace had said that, you know, it was almost becoming disheartening that the SD Works were winning. And in the beginning of the season, you know, you had your own tactics and you had to ignore SD Works, but actually now you have to take them into account. Um, but the thing that she also said was that actually they wanted to see somebody else winning. So on this stage where the break actually had a chance of getting to the line there was no way they were going to help SD Works chase this breakdown because well firstly it was their responsibility they'd won the first two stages they'd won all the other world tour races in May um, but also Grace said actually it would just be nice to see another team win for a change um, and for some reason other teams decided to help SD Works which not only yeah, of course, decrease the chance of the break winning. And maybe if they didn't have a rider in the break, increase their chances of winning. But it also strengthened SD Works because SD Works are still going to try and win the stage. But if you actually let them use up their own riders, if you make Vibas actually take a turn on the front, then you're going to weaken her for the finish. Um, but because the other teams helped, Vibas didn't have to hit the front once. She had an absolutely phenomenal lead out in the last bit from Vollering, caught the caught the break on the line and actually the break still managed to take some of the places in in the top 10 uh, on that stage so it was it was a really really exciting finish to watch but I think frustrating very frustrating from inside the peloton from those teams that really were saying look SD works like this is your responsibility but I guess you know I think a lot of teams and uh, when they're not the top top tier like SD works they're kind of built around just being a, a sprint team. You know, you, you have one sprinter and you know, you can either try and build a lead out around that one sprinter or you can let the, that one sprinter ride the wheels that they can find and, and trying to get a result. So I feel like um, in these st- these kinds of stages are the biggest opportunity for a lot of teams to get any result at all because, you know, you look at these big mountains and 10-kilometer climbs and for a lot of teams, they don't have any any rider that can be in contention on a, a climb like that. So I guess for those teams, they're trying to find the opportunity opportunities where they can find them. But as you say, Lizzie, I mean, if you just let SD Works do the work, they still, you know, would have come back enough. Or, you know, you could have seen how it was in the last couple of kilometres and then done, then helped uh, bring back the break if you really thought that you were in with a chance. But also when they have a sprinter like Lorena Vibus, who is... You know, Charlotte Cool has been obviously, and we'll talk a bit uh, about that uh, in a minute, won't we, uh, all are in your news roundup. Charlotte Cool has been forming really well, but Lorena Rebus has just such an almighty power. I think it's kind of, you know, 
she she is the best in the world, um, isn't she? I mean, Charlotte Cool comes close, but I think in terms of just pure sprinting supremacy, that's what Lorena Weebus has. So um, it's surprising to me that any other team thinks that they can have a sprinter that can beat Lorena Weebus. You know, considering that Charlotte Cool wasn't there, um, and Elisa Balsamo seems to be kind of off her best, doesn't she? But then um, I guess what's the alternative? It's the entire yeah. pack racing against SD Works and but assuming that kind of a non-SD... Yeah. You, you have to way? weaken them. You have to weaken them. So SD Works historically don't chase things. They leave mm. things to the last minute to chase. But then use that to your advantage. Let them chase. They have, this, they have the best sprinter. So if you leave it, they have to chase. You know, it was close enough that they were going to do it. But you have to leave it to them. So you have to try and weaken them because you're not going to beat Lorena Vibas. Like, what's the chance that you, all are going to beat Lorena Vibas? <laughs> I mean, I, do you know what? Pretty I beat slim. my husband in a sprint down the street earlier. I'm not even kidding. So that was on, that was on two feet. <laughs> That's what we get up to in a lunch break. But no, but, but I guess my point is, though, how, how would you unite every team to essentially be riding defensively against SG Works without it having to be that a win from anybody who's not SC Works is a win for all of us because it's clearly not, you know? Well, you're no, not but going they were, to they have... Were, you're like 10 riders in the break, you know? So you've got mm. loads of different teams represented already. Those teams aren't riding. There were only a handful of riders that didn't have didn't have a rider either, you know, didn't have a rider in the break and wanted to sprint. But those, you know, those teams then, you know, FTJ obviously weren't doing anything. They were like, sod it. <laughs> Leave it to SD Works. So then there's very few teams helping, but those teams then decide to help and then put themselves in a worse position for the sprint. But isn't it a lose-lose anyway? Because if you don't bring it back for the sprint, then obviously you've got no chance. And SD Works could quite legitimately go, well, you know what? We've got two stages already. We've got another chance tomorrow. We don't care about this one. And so for another team, the return on the investment is much bigger. They were already chasing. They were already chasing and then they just decided to, you know, try and recruit others and kind of, you know, I, I say intimidate that. And I and I mean that in like the nicest sense of the way and that you go through the group and you're like, hey, come on, ride. Um, and obviously when it's the best team in the world or the best rider in the world, you you kind of do what they say. But sometimes you just have to say up yours and not do what they say. I, I don't know. I think I think there's a balance. And I think that sometimes other teams help SD Works win. And I find that very frustrating. Is that, the, is that the big boys, the big girls coming out and saying, you know what, we're in charge, we're going to dictate this, you're going to listen. And and other riders who may be less experienced or less confident just going along with it because Damien Vollering has told you to. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I guess from a viewing perspective, I find it frustrating though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that that if I were there, I wouldn't, I would not you know, succumb to the intimidation of being told oh, to ride if I didn't want to. Oh, there's a fight and dog back <laughs> and again. I'm, I'm like coming it. back. <laughs> I mean, but Lizzie, you know, you I know, had a look at the the Women's World Tour rankings before before uh, we started recording. We were talking mm-hmm. a little bit earlier about SD Works fatigue, and obviously Grace Brown has is you know voicing that opinion and feeling that. And the top ten in the Women's World Tour rankings at the moment. Vollering, Royce, Capecchi, Vibas. So four from SD Works in the top four. Then Van Bluten, Georgie, Van Anroy, Longa Borghini, Raolini, Nibia Doma. But that doesn't tell the whole story. Vollering, 3,393 points. Royce at her teammate, less than half, 1,500 points. So that kind of shows you the stranglehold that they have at the moment. I mean, I don't, and I don't think, you know, we've said this before. We said this in the Arrivé podcast. It doesn't actually 
do justice to the racing to show you know to show their stranglehold and the fatigue that we're feeling on them kind of winning all of the races because actually the races are very very exciting but i kind of feel like we need to do something but you know Kenyon Schramm are on the rise, Trek Segafredo are on the rise, Dignan's back, Longo Borghini is uh, back from a very, you know, difficult period in the spring when she had a lot of illness as well. So I do expect things to change. So, and I'm coming back too. <laughs> <laughs> the cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Well, if you've been watching the many climby Spanish races that we've had this past month, or even, dare I say it, the men's Giro, then you might be feeling a bit inspired to get out on the bike yourself. But if you're at a bit of a loss of how to fuel properly for your ride, or just aspiring to do as the pros do, then head over to scienceinsport.com. They've got a series of recent blog posts up there inspired by the men's Giro. Each article is dedicated to a different type of stage, be it sprints, mountains or time trials. And Dr Mark Fell, the team performance nutritionist at Ineos Grenadiers, gives some insight into which SIS products are his top picks for different challenges. These include Go Isotonic Plus Caffeine Gel for keeping focus on a long day on the bike, the Beta Fuel Chews for when there are lots of climbs ahead, and Beta Fuel 80 Powder in a Bidon for when the weather is rough. For all your sports nutrition needs, head to scienceinsport.com. Well, I was going to ask actually, Lizzie, about, because, you know, Vollering and, I mean, Ola actually hasn't said the the final uh, what happened in the final stage go on Ollie you say what happened oh, in the sorry, final stage sorry. Before, I yeah we haven't even finished off the race yet because stage four yeah <laughs> um, spoiler spoiler stage four went to Damie <laughs> with the UAE ADQ actually second and third Erica Magnaldi and Sylvia Persico finishing in second and third there the overall win though of course went to Damie Vollering Sheeran Van Anroy in second Ashton Milman Passio in third um, great ride from Sheeran and Van Anroy on that stage uh, absolutely yeah, yeah. brilliant ride yeah, I was just going to pick up on, you know, the fact that Vollering, um, like you were saying, Lizzie, you know, she has been out and out as much as SD Works has dominated everything, you know, but it has all kind of come down to Demi Vollering and she has won in so many different styles. She's won on that um, Laguna de Nola um, climb that was stage four, which is, you know, kind of uh, 10 plus kilometres. But then she's also won in a like a, a reduced group, uh, just sprinting, I think, Possibly even when her own teammates weren't expecting her uh, to sprint for the win there. Um, kind of her ability is so all-encompassing. All and of, of course, she's been winning since early spring. So, my, you know, I was wondering, uh, Lizzie, how long can an athlete keep up a peak like that over a season? You know, is it really feasible for her to go on winning when she's been winning since, what, you know, early March, end of February? You know, is it, and she's still winning now, which is June. You know, it, how long can a peak normally last? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really, it, it very much depends on the athlete and it's about balancing rest and training. The impression that I get is that Vollering has a pretty good balance with kind of, you know, understanding when to rest and to, to take time, you know, not even just take time easy from training, but just take time off the bike, you know, for a couple of days, go into the mountains or whatever. Um, she's currently up in uh, in the in the French Alps on an altitude camp. And I think I understand that she won't be racing the Giro d'Italia. Um, so in which case she's kind of got that time to 
yeah, let your body rest a bit. You let your body rest. You absorb all of that fatigue from the racing, which actually makes you better. Um, obviously, being up at altitude, she'll get an extra boost <laughs> all of these things I'm saying just make her stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, but I I feel that it, it was a really big block, but she wasn't sort of over-raced. Um, I think that although we have seen her winning a lot, um, I'm actually just going to, you know, double check the number of race days that she's had this year. But I don't think it's it's not that high. You know, some riders have it's really win had to rate do... that's been so impressive as opposed to exactly, the volume yeah, of racing. It's her win rate yeah. rather than her number of days. So she's had 22 days now. Um, and because a lot of those have been in stage racing, then that sort of racks up the days. Um, I think, you know, the highest number of race days for any rider this season is something like 35 um, which is a which is a lot, and she's going to have this period now of kind of downtime, rest, recuperation, and then ability to kind of really train on the exact focus things that she needs to for the Tour de France. Um, and I I strongly suspect we'll see an even stronger Demi Vollering at the Tour de France. I think that she will, yeah, take this chance to rest and back off a bit, and then come back even stronger. If you say she's raced twenty two days, Lizzie. That means that she has won on half of those days because she's taken five one-day races. She's taken six stages. On top of that, one GC. On top of that, two mountain classifications. Twice second on GC. And she has podiumed in every GC, every sprint, and every mountains classification of every stage race she's done this year, which admittedly is only three. But that strike rate is absolutely phenomenal. And I should have worked this out before we started recording, but I just wonder where that would place Amy Vollering as a team in the world rankings right now. Because <laughs> I would imagine she'd give Jumbo Visma a run for his money. But the thing is, Jumbo Visma, um, SE Works. The thing, the thing about SE Works, though, is they have that as a strike rate. But not only that, you know, they have... Um, Lorraine Avibis, they have Royster, they have Lotte Capecchi, and they have new winners as well this year, which we'll get to when we get to Turingen. But it's not, they're not just relying on one person for the win, two people, three people, four people. They've had wins right across the board. And, and to be fair, you've got to give them credit for that because we're in danger of saying SE works fatigue. You've got to celebrate whatever they're doing right because they're not making it a stranglehold in terms of one rider and everything being around them. It's not like to make a meal racing comparison. It's not like the old days of Team Sky where everything is in, all eggs are in one basket and the racing is clamped down around it. This, the racing is still exciting because <laughs> you don't know where Jesse Works rider is going to win. <laughs> you know, I agree with you though. I agree with you because we can't, we, we can't, you know, be annoyed about it because can you imagine if you're SD Works and what it must feel like to just keep winning and even at the beginning of the season when they won, you know, it was only a handful of that of races at this point. And Danny Sam, the the you know manager of the team, said it was just quite unbelievable. They never imagined to be in this position with the women's peloton getting stronger and stronger. So I can't imagine, you know, he must just be like, you know, walking around dizzy at the moment with excitement from the number of wins but, that they've yeah, had. So but, I mean, of course, that also feeds into the confidence, doesn't it? I mean, absolutely. I know that when... Lorena Viba, when she finished that stage three that we we talked a little bit about with the breakaway ahead and she kind of overtook them right on the line. I mean, she even said in her post-race interview there that she she wasn't thinking that she was going to go for the win because, you know, with a kilometre to go, she thought the break had it. But then Demi Vollering was kind of like, come on, let's go, you follow me. You know, so it, it, Vollering winning, the team winning, 
it just gives them more confidence to go for those opportunities. Whereas maybe Vibus on her own would have just been like, oh, it looks like the brakes got it. Uh, you know, I'll save my powder to kind of beat the best of the rest type thing um, and not uh, not take the win. But obviously winning breeds winning, doesn't it? It does. But we've seen that that bear can be poked, haven't we, at the Vuelta Femenina when um, they thought they could control the race essentially and Movistar said, no, 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 we plan for crosswinds, we're attacking now. I think sometimes that can maybe, there is a danger, and I'm not saying this is what's happening with SC Works, but in life, always there is a danger that too much success can breed complacency and assuming that the race will go according to your plan. And they were rattled. They were all rattled individually and collectively. And maybe there's something in that for um, the opposition, you know, try to unsettle them in some way because they're used to things going their way. It'll be interesting to see what happens when things don't go their way because that's where that's the measure of success really, isn't it? Yeah, I think just another final word on on kind of the success and the depth that I found really interesting when watching uh, It's Zulia actually, which wasn't run, won by Vollering, it was won by Mullen Reuser um, because in the final stage, Vollering was away with, um, was it was it Nivea Doma um, or Rayolini? I c- can't quite recall off the top it of my head. It was Nivea Doma. With Nivea Doma and, um, and Marlon Reuser came back and she took a flyer and then, you know, other riders came back to Vollering and Vollering said, well, you know, well, Reuser's up the road. In the end, Reuser won by quite a margin, you know, taking the stage in the GC overall. And what I found really surprising was Marlon Reuser's interview afterwards that she was almost so surprised to win and it almost feels like to me like she doesn't even realize quite how strong she is we know that she is one of the most ridiculous kind of power talents let's say in women's cycling her power numbers are absolutely mind-blowing i've seen them (laughs) you know that was a couple of years ago and and i think sometimes like she doesn't even realize how good she is and so once she realizes, then that just makes them even stronger. You know, she's been timing so <laughs> darnly. Doing this narrative, Lizzie. Every time you say something, it makes it seem like right. Let's possible to beat them. Let's change the tone, then, shall we? Let's change the vibe. We'll get some new tracks on the decks because we do have yes. some. Hope. We're heading to London, <laughs> baby. We're heading to London town, and that give us a lot of other things to talk about. The Ride London Classic, um, plus you. I should say. The only women's world tour race to be held in the UK this year, of course, after the women's tour had to take a hiatus. But here we have a different soundtrack because stage one was won by Charlotte Cole over Clara Capone and Lizzie Dignan. Stage two was our win for Chloe Digard. I'm going to actually just go quickly through these results because I think there's quite a bit to talk about here. Um, stage two was a win for Chloe Digard, Um with Lizzie second, Soria Paladin in third. Stage three, Charlotte Cole over Digart and Micah van der Dijne. So the overall podium was Charlotte Cole followed by Chloe Digart and Lizzie Dignan. Now that gives us DSM to talk about. That gives us Canyon Tram to talk about. And that gives us the resurgence of Lizzie Dignan to talk about in a race that certainly those sprint finishes, you wouldn't necessarily have her tip to be right up there in. There's a lot of almost a different narrative going on there than we've seen in other races, which I find really exciting. And I have to say quickly... A massive credit to the organisers for shaking up this race because last year they were really in danger of being demoted after not adhering to the the, the TV 
rules for the UCI Women's World Tour of a minimum of 45 minutes of every stage. Uh, I think it was the only the last stage that was was um, broadcast live. And uh, not only have they increased their uh, live TV um, broadcasting, but they've also kind of, they've just put, it feels like they've put a bit more thought into the route design. And that has really led to exciting, aggressive racing, um, which is really, really good to watch. So just wanted to say a quick shout out and good job. Absolutely. Before we get into anything else, should we really start this part of the chat by giving a whoop whoop to Canyon Tram for the first Women's World Tour win since 2019, ladies and gentlemen? Whoa! <laughs> we kept the faith. We knew they could do it. How amazing was that, though? And for Chloe Dygart as well, with everything she's been through, and you both covered it a little bit in Arrive as well. Um, her first Women's World Tour win after the season that she's had, just phenomenal, phenomenal. I think after the the three years that she's had really mm-hmm. um and so i meant seasons not, plural yeah not just the one yeah, n- not only her but the team really deserve yeah. it because they have seriously stepped up in the way that they've been racing yeah. they were incredibly aggressive they were riding really really well um you know she kept and kind cleverly. of getting these second places very cleverly working very well as a team um and it paid off and it nearly paid off in the third stage as well because well, it kind of looked like Chloe Diger mm-hmm. was leading Chloe Diger out, but actually she was leading Michael van der Down out. Um, but Chloe just had so much power that Michael van der Down sort of couldn't come past. And in the end, Charlotte Cool took the win by a very, very small margin. So they're very close on stage three as well. Um, and it's nice to have some different parkours as well to incite different types of racing because I love the Spanish block over in May. Um, it's very beautiful to watch, if nothing else. I'm booking myself a trip to that area of Spain. But... Um, but it's a lot of quite similar racing. So to have this racing in London provides a real contrast um, to watch and, and and also to see different riders, you know, excelling there as well. I mean, it is incredible. Chloe Diger has got eight podiums and that's just May. She only started her whole season in May. And that's eight podiums already is, is unbelievable. If we didn't have such dominance from Debbie Bollering, then I think, you know, this would be the colour of the story um, of the season, wouldn't it? But I'm really excited to see where, where she goes because... It's great to see that she can fight it out in a you know an almost pure sprint kind of setup, but also you know she can go for a much uh, longer power output. So um, you know it looks like it's coming down to a sprint. That there's every chance that she'll go off with several hundred um, meter or a kilometer to go and uh, might win the thing. So um, it's very exciting to see um, where she comes. But you know as you touched on Lizzie, you know it is kind of all credit to Canyon Sram there for kind of um, coming to racing this year with a bit of a different outlook and being willing to um, attack. I mean, they've always been quite attacking, but maybe not. Not in the right way, not using their power at the right time. Mm. Yeah. And it seems to have been a, you know, a kind of a big um, shift this year. So it's kind of exciting to see where they can uh, build from from uh, now. And, you know, bearing in mind, we've got Tour de France fan, we've got um, the Giro uh, also uh, coming up. I feel like they look like a team reborn. I think Diger could build into a you know a Royza type figure as well, but with the added mm. bonus of the of the you know sprint the ability at the end. that yeah. she's got. Because you know she was fourth on the general classification of Vuelta Burgos Feminas, and she was climbing better and better during that period in Spain. And she's obviously building her fitness too. You know she didn't come into Spain into the Spanish races on a hundred percent form. And so she's kind of realising what she can do. She's still getting to grips with the World Tour Peloton. Um, you know, she's 
she hasn't really done any riding in the World Tour Peloton other than Worlds 2019 until this May. And it takes time to, you know, work out how to save your energy to get to the front, to get to the right position. And she always used to say that coming from an American background, that was one of the things that she struggled with. And she's clearly getting to grips with it. But as she as she develops and hones that skill even more, she'll save much more energy during the race and have much more left for the finale, which is incredibly important. And I think sometimes kind of um, undervalued in its importance as well. And also we're talking about how to beat SC Works. Canyon Shram, those tactics, just brilliant, just brilliant. Like I say, I think they they look like a team reborn. You know, you look at stage two of Ride London, they had three cards to play. Look at the finale of stage three, Sarah Roy popping off the front trying to bring Pfeiffer Georgie with her to isolate Charlotte Cole. What? Love it. Love it. You know, that's the kind of racing that makes you stand on your feet and you think, yes, you know, I believe in this. I believe in somebody, the whole team working together and trying to outmaneuver and out-tactic their rivals. I just thought it was beautiful, really beautiful. So the stage win, yes, but also the, I was going to say promise of what's to come, not really even, the delivery, the delivery of tactics. And sometimes that will give you a stage win, sometimes it won't. But it will give thrilling racing because it will put everyone else under pressure and makes everybody second guess what any other, you know, what they're doing in any given moment. And we just have not seen enough of that from Canyon Shram. And now we've got it. And I just absolutely love to see it. Brilliant. We were talking the whole spring about how their tactics this season have been so much better and they've been nearly there, but not quite. But we felt that it would pay off. And all I want to say is that we were right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it took us how long into the podcast to (laughs) self-declare righteousness. I like it. (laughs) No, but seriously, it's, Mm. it's really nice to see it paying off for them because they have been racing so well this spring and um, it seems like the culmination of a, you know, a good few months of hard work actually finally paying off for them. And I'm sure they'll be delighted with, with that result as well. We also have to mention from Ride London, DSM, Charlotte Cole, and also Pfeiffer Georgie, best lead out woman in the world. Oh, and Pfeiffer Georgie. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we're going to hear from Pfeiffer yeah. Georgie a little bit um, later. You know, she's had an incredible spring also, hasn't she? She really has. And do you know what I love to bite um, the end of that race as well? Did you see in the post-race coverage, I think it was it must have been after stage three, Charlotte Cole bowing to every team member that crossed the line. Did you see that? I absolutely loved that with a real theatrical flourish, you know, a real thank you to her team. That was beautiful to see and also indicative of how well that team get on off the bike, which as we all know, we're all human beings. That's crucial to working well together and working well under pressure and supporting each other when times are tough. So I love that. I love that little bit of theatre. But Lizzie, yes, you said it as well. Lizzie Dignan. Mm. A love really that. impressive return from Lizzie Dignan, actually. I mean, obviously, she she started her return from her second pregnancy at the Ardennes Classics, uh, went on to the Volta Feminina, um, and now is absolutely bossing it at Ride London. Um, third place on stage one, and a second place on stage two and a third place overall in the general classification. And I I wonder if she has actually surprised herself with that result. And it's quite interesting as well, because looking ahead to the Glasgow World Championships, which I would assume would be her main target for this year, you know, perhaps we wouldn't have expected her to be quite that far up in the sprint. Um, we know that Diagnan has a kick, but when we're talking about a pure you know, bunch finish. Um, she kind of got into that position because she had to, because her sprinter, Elisa Balsamo, um, unfortunately crashed out 
uh, early in stage one and track forced the pace they forced a, a a strong break on stage one and you know she was able to to take those bonus seconds on the line and take bonus seconds on stage two and then obviously you know use those to to get the third place on gc but i wonder if this is kind of indicative of the specific type of training that she's trying to do to lead into that very very punchy glasgow world championships um you know she's she's talked in the past before how she um, I think it was the Imola World Championships. You know, it wasn't her main goal of the year. And if she wanted to have done that, she'd have had to train in a in a slightly different way. Uh, and it seems from these results that she's training in that way to be really in the best form for for the Glasgow World Championships. And that combination with Pfeiffer Georgie, who is also that kind of rider, I think is very exciting for the British team. Yeah, it'd be really exciting, wouldn't it? And for a home audience of what will be the first world championship cycling festival i think there is an actual term for it that in, that involves those words in some order or other but yeah that would be that'd be wonderful to see wouldn't it just to very briefly round up the news round up we had the Turingan ladies tour which was a complete six stage and gc se works lockout um so the, they took the team time trial What's interesting here really though is what I referred to earlier, the fact that we have new winners for SD Works, <laughs> which is exciting if you're an SD Works fan. Um, Misha Bradevold won her first Women's World Tour stage. She's really interesting. She's ha- She was hit by a truck, wasn't she, a few years ago, 2018, I think it was. She broke vertebrae, ribs, had a brain injury. She's only 22. So what an incredible career she's had already. Brilliant to see that. Um, Barbara Risky also taking a win on stage three and stage four, Lonica Unikin. So we did have some new winners for SD Works among the usual suspects being uh, Lorraine Avibis and Lotta Kopecky with Lotta winning the overall. And one final bit to add to the news roundup, if you will forgive me, we've had a return to racing of the inimitable Lizzie Banks at the um, Walmart Joe Martin stage race. Lizzie made her return and I can't wait to hear all about that. But you're going to have to wait until after this wonderful interview with Rose and Pfeiffer Georgie. Well, Pfeiffer, congratulations, first of all, for the the win for the team at Ride London Classic. Um, I know lots of people normally like um, think Ride London can be a bit of a an easy race or, you know, it's very straightforward race, but, you know, the way you guys approached it and raced it obviously made it, it wasn't like that, was it? Yeah, I think on paper then it's, a lot of teams just see it as three sprint stages. I think this year was also a bit different with, yeah, the composition of other teams that they had to race more aggressively. Um, Also with, yeah, Balsamo unfortunately crashing out on the first stage, then Trek also had to race different. So we were maybe the only team that were, really invested in what your sprint which made our jobs a lot harder actually but you were like a, a, a really key lead out and actually i mean obviously you have been a really key lead out you're a key lead out for lorena vibus um you know when she was uh, at the team and being incredibly uh, successful like how difficult is it for you planning your season because the team must see you as so integral to the sprints but obviously you have your own ambitions your own goals as well yeah the lead out is something we work on a lot within the team yeah last year with Lorena and Charlotte and yeah this year I've kind of stepped up into Charlotte's last lead out so it's something we focused on a lot over the winter and yeah I went to UAE that was kind of the big the first big sprint goal for Charlotte so that was nice to kind of get 
some yeah race practice in there and then obviously during the classics it's more different type racing and that's where yeah I've got more of opportunities as a leader and it's nice to kind of bounce the both like having my opportunities and then also coming into races like Ride London where we can yeah get into that rhythm again as part of the lead out and it must be so satisfying that the team has managed to continue being as dominant in the sprints as as you were with Lorena Rebus, who you know everyone always sees as as you know well the bit I mean Charlotte Cool has proven herself this year certainly but I mean, yeah. everyone made such a deal of Lorena Rebus leaving the team last year for you on on the inside did it feel like oh no what are we going to do or was it quite clear that Charlotte would be able to step up into that role yeah I think more of the doubts came from outside the team mm. I think we had a really good preparation um yeah during the winter and yeah I was quite confident Charlotte was confident heading into UAE um and I think it was really nice to have this sprint battle um between the two of them and yeah really exciting actually I think for women's cycling as well oh yeah definitely I mean we always want to see those kind of big rivalries and to have like a big rivalry with two top sprinters um is yeah is perfect perfect to watch but how I remember reading once that you said that you you found it kind of difficult sometimes being in a really busy bunch how is it being like the last lead out because that is like when the racing is the most hectic the most crazy how do you find that yeah, I think that's something I've definitely got better at recent in yeah the last year or so. And I think being put into this position, it kind of you get more practice at it, and it kind of forces you to have to not be yeah so scared. I think of the craziness at the end. And I think for me, having something to focus on, like I have a job to do, and knowing that it's not for me, like I have to do my job for Charlotte because she's got complete trust in me and will follow my will. So it's not really an option not to be there or like fight for position really and I know of course you've also been like road captain uh, at the team but you're only 22 years old how do you take on that responsibility although actually I was looking at your team and your team's oldest rider is like yeah, 25 I was going <laughs> to say I'm like one of the ex- most experienced now we've got lots of 18 19 year olds so it yeah it is strange only being 22 and being road captain but um, yeah, I've been in the team five years now, so I think I already have yeah a bit of experience that I can pass on, and yeah, it's a role I really enjoy actually. Yeah, I think I have quite good race knowledge, and yeah, I don't think I get too stressed in races, which I think is important to be road captain. And how are you at like managing people? Because you know, you don't strike me as someone who's going to kind of be really bossy and tell everyone what to, no. what to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I think my kind of way of leading is. Yeah, just being quite clear and calm and, yeah, focused. I'm not really someone who stresses or shouts or is, yeah, a really loud, dominant personality, I'd say. So it's more just I like to kind of keep communicating with the girls and just be clear, calm, focused on our task. Is it strange kind of uh, balancing, like, you know, how you are as a person off the bike with how you have to be? On the bikes, obviously, people, when they think about athletes, they do normally think about people who are can be quite demanding or can be quite assertive, um, you know, can be uh, making sure that their needs come first. Is it is that is it difficult kind of being an athlete if you're someone who is a bit more kind of considerate in that way? I'm not sure, like, your personality off the bike necessarily correlates on the bike. I think off the bike within the peloton, you have, like, lots of friends and then kind of in the in the race it's 
very much you're against each other and you obviously have the respect but it's everyone knows that they're willing to fight for the same thing and it's kind of you've just got a a task to do and you do what you have to for your team and it's kind of a different mindset yeah to off the bike I'd say. And you were saying about how you've got lots of very young riders coming into the team what do you remember from when you were taking that step up um, to the team from the junior ranks and you know what was it like the setup and what did you what did you require when you were that kind of age coming in? Yeah I remember the step up being pretty big I think the new girls have um, yeah, they always impressed me about how strong they are and how quickly they learn things. I feel like for me, it was a massive learning curve. I had to really learn everything about riding in the peloton, like the longer race distances, um, the teamwork aspect, and even like little things like doing bike changes or feeding or everything was just already new to me. And I think, yeah, it took me a while to kind of get used to it all. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it amazes me how quickly the new juniors are stepping up, actually. And that's funny because, obviously, you were you did so many races as a, a junior, kind of a pro- prolific racer as, as a junior. What was, what was the biggest difference between... Because, so, obviously, you're doing the bike changes and the feeding and things for junior races, but, obviously, you know, how different is that for then being in the pro ranks? Yeah, I think even, like, things feeding as a junior, I never actually did it because our races were maybe two hours. I think that's something yeah the race distances you go from maybe 80k to 160k um which is a massive jump and i think also just yeah the nature of the person is quite different also with the bigger teams and more of the team tactics come into play in as an elite rather than junior when i was racing it was yeah like very kind of obvious yeah yourself and was it difficult because you you won so much as a a junior like winning the junior Gent Vevelhem and junior Trofeo Binder was it difficult then coming into a situation where you weren't people weren't looking to you to be the person who was going to win or even the leader when you first kind of came into the team yeah I guess it's kind of just adjusting to a new role and I actually really enjoyed kind of being a support rider and learning and I felt like I was never yeah wanting to be ridden for because there was all the stronger yeah more experienced girls in the team and I was just happy to kind of learn and um yeah I never felt like I was trying to rush that I did well as a junior so I needed to be winning in my first year and I think that's something the team kind of had confidence in me that it was going to take a few years and yeah now it's five years later and I'm starting to get my leader opportunities and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing that you don't come straight out of junior and win your first year. And, but was it difficult when you're seeing kind of people that you used to go up against as a as a junior, like Emma Norsgaard, say, you know, she ha- had a great, great season and she kind of uh, appeared on the scene, almost felt like out of nowhere and, and started winning. Was it difficult seeing kind of your peers managing to take big results when, you know, you, you weren't? I tried not to compare myself too much to, yeah, people my own age because I kind of think everyone in sport and yeah in cycling everyone has their own journey with their setbacks um yeah I was doing school my first year I had some kind of more serious crashes so it was you can never really compare yourself one-on-one because no one has the same um journey and I was never really stressed about it because I kind of I still had confidence in myself and the team also did and they were yeah 
keen to keep extending my contract. So yeah, I always kind of believed that I would get to where I wanted to be. Even if yeah, people start rising earlier, it was not so much an issue for me. And how is it now? I mean, taking your first um, world tour win with um, at Depana this year what did that winning that race and in the style that you won it so kind of imperious in winning it what did you take from from winning that that race or how did it feel even at the time yeah it was crazy it was um yeah pretty unexpected like I, I remember thinking that oh I can't believe this and I think it was just a perfect race from the team actually and we went in with such like a clear plan to make it hard and had me and Megan there um, in the final and it just all went perfectly that day um, so yeah that was yeah pretty cool and I think it gave me a lot of confidence actually that of the level I'm at also in the classics and I think it kind of gave me a confidence for the rest of the races after like yeah for Flanders and Roubaix and I'm still that I was at a level that I could compete with the best. It is even more remarkable like even now at this point in the season looking back when SD Works seemed to have won so much you know particularly in the classics that you that you took that win you you outplayed them um and uh won you know does that give you even more kind of uh confidence or do you just do you only judge things on kind of your own personal performance yeah I think um everyone always says how are you going to be SD and I think from our team we kind of just like to focus on how we are going to try and win the race and I think that day is an example of it. Like we went in with a really clear plan and knew that we had six strong girls and we were going to use our numbers. And I think in the end, it was the numbers in the final that made the difference. And Pfeiffer, what have you got coming up for the rest of the season? Um, are you going to be on again on lead out duty for Charlotte Cool, or are there other opportunities for you also? Yeah, a bit both lead out and opportunities. Um, I'm yeah, next doing some races in Belgium and then nationals. Um, yeah, all in preparation for the tour, which is the next big goal. And what do you see as your role um, there at the tour? Because, you know, it's one of those uh, parkours that obviously there will be, you know, sprint opportunity, but also chance for a rider like you who can kind of make the racing very exciting. Yeah, I think a mixture of both, actually. Um, obviously, the, yeah, sprint with Charlotte that's a massive goal and also supporting Juliet where I can for GC um, and then maybe if there's a, a stage that I can go for um, for a stage win that would also be really nice Well that was me talking to uh, Pfeiffer Georgie but we did promise at the beginning of the show that we would be grilling Lizzie Banks <laughs> on her return at uh, racing um, so Lizzie you can be instead of just threatening the peloton like you did earlier oh, you no, can be a little bit more effusive I want some trash talk here <laughs> uh, but Lizzie yeah, you went out to the US to do the Walmart Joe Martin um, stage race um, yeah, how well tell us how tell us all about it hey, you know how was it were you, were you nervous when you were on that first start line yeah. I don't ever imagine you were ever nervous really no you I would never admit to it no, I am. I am. But it's it's interesting. The more racing you do, the less nervous you get, right? Um, and it had obviously been over a year and, you know, really kind of two and a half years since I've raced properly because, um, gosh, what year are we in now? In 2021, I had a concussion, you know, Strada Bianca. I think it was my second race. Knocked me out for the whole season, quite literally. Um, and then 2022, the day before my first race in fact the afternoon four o'clock before my first race I tested positive for COVID um went home thought I was okay came back to the races uh, very much wasn't okay did two races and second one got severe chest pain turned out to have 
pericarditis, which took the whole year to shift and um, the whole year and a bit more, really. And then, yeah, and then just been chipping away at training this spring. And it's been it's been really, really hard. And, you know, it was only really in the four weeks before going to Joe Martin that I was actually back to what I call normal training. Um, before that, I was doing sort of 13 to 15 hours a week and knackered all the time, really, really struggling. And then something just clicked, you know, that endurance just clicked about four weeks before the race. And I was able to do 20, 22 hours a week and decent kind of training. I'm still obviously building up the power a lot. And and then finally, I had the confidence that I would be able to go to this race and not just, you know, be be hanging on that back, actually be able to, you know, really help the team out and have an impact on the race, which is you know, what I always want to do. And it was a really, it was a really incredible experience for me, actually. I was, I was nervous about it going in. I, you know, obviously hadn't really spent any time with my teammates and I have to say a really big thank you to my teammates who were just incredible, so supportive. Um, Lauren Stevens, who was our leader for the race and who won the race overall in the end, um, you know, reached out to us all a few weeks before the race and said, how's it going? What, you know, what situation are you in? What do you feel that you can do? And, you know, found a role for each of us in the race that would allow us all to perform to the best of our abilities. There were two of us that were coming back from quite complex injuries. Um, Clara Honsinger, who was coming back from, a, you know, an off season because she'd obviously had her cyclocross season earlier and then continued into the road season. And then Sarah Poydevan, who is an absolute amazing workhorse, but has had a really, really busy spring. So none of us knew how we would be coming in and as the only World Tour team, we had a lot of pressure to win, but um, Lauren really brought the group together, gave us all very specific roles, and we worked incredibly well as a team and, and managed to pull it off. And it was a really beautiful thing, really, you know, the, the riders and the staff working so hard together towards a common goal and and achieving it. And, you know, it's not that often in cycling that you, you do achieve exactly what you set out to. And... Um, I, I really couldn't have asked for a for a nicer return and um obviously it was kind of the US Peloton instead of the European Peloton. So I don't have quite as many friends over there, but they're still really nice to see people that I did know and um I raced this race in twenty eighteen. So I saw my host family from twenty eighteen who I stayed with who were really kind and it was just yeah, it was an amazing atmosphere. US racing is very different to European racing. It's got a, a different vibe and a, a really nice vibe and yeah, it was a a great way to start back. Did it fill you up with motivation now? I mean, being there and actually, because there was that climby uh, stage and, um, you know, I, I know when I was messaging you at whatever time in the morning, or two in the morning, whatever, um, and, you know, you finished 18th and you weren't even aware actually of how well you were. You weren't even like going full guns out, were you, on that stage? Because you thought, didn't realise how well you were actually doing. Yeah, no, it was interesting. I mean, so obviously I had a I had a team role and um, the first day I actually struggled a bit because it was so hot and humid. Um, and I my role was to kind of deliver the girls, deliver the riders into the climb. And I did that, but then I came back and managed to deliver them into the, all the way down the descent as well. So then at the, at the base of the climb, you're absolutely cooked. Um, and I actually got back to the peloton. I eventually got back to the peloton, but it was, you know, moments before we'd had a plan to attack in another place. And I was kind of like, oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. I just got myself to the finish. And then on the second day, um, you know, we had another climb that we did. And I really surprised myself with kind of, you know, how far I was up in the peloton. And on the final climb of the day, I realized, you know, actually, I'm not too far back. So maybe I should, maybe I should put some effort in. Um but yeah, I mean, it is a very different kettle of fish to to European racing and, and world tour racing. And um, 
you know, it's no secret that I've still got a few kilos to lose and a lot of watts to gain, but um, but it's a process and I'm really enjoying that process. And now that I've had that taste of it again, I just want more. You know, I've I've really very specifically set my goals for, you know, what I want to do the rest of the season and, and you know, the Tour de France is in seven weeks and I want to get there. Um, and I believe that I will be pretty good by then, you know, maybe not back to absolute 100% Lizzie, but I, but like good enough to do a really good job for the team. So that is my goal really. And I've obviously got to, I've got to do the work and I've got to, yeah, I've got to put in the work and I've got to put out the numbers and kind of prove myself to the team. But, um, yeah, my, my goal is to be back, but I think really the main thing for me is just to be so happy again. It was so difficult when I couldn't ride and for a long time when you can't ride you question whether you actually want to do it anymore there were so many times that I very nearly quit I think quite a lot of times I've come onto the podcast and you guys have said how are you doing and I've just said I'm gonna quit <laughs> I, I can't do this anymore and um yeah everybody around me has always been so encouraging not to you know not telling me to do it if I didn't want to but just you know like don't give up unless you really want to give up and just yeah encouraging me and supporting me and I'm just really happy to be back and I'm happy to be sort of really hungry for it again. You know, um, I really want to make the Giro team. I really want to make the Tour de France team. And I'm working really hard towards those goals. And even if I don't, you know, I can see, I can see that I'm getting back to, uh, that I will get back to my physiological best. And I'm working really hard towards that goal. And whether it's, you know, end of July, whether it's August or whether it's next year, even I'm, I'm on the way back and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm unhappy. And yeah, that's that's the main thing for me. You were saying as well, Lizzie, that you had received so many well wishes for your comeback mm. and how lovely that's <laughs> been. Yeah, really, really, really nice. So yeah, I think it was when I went to Paris-Roubaix really that I, you know, you kind of forget that you're part of a community when you're not in this community, right? And I went to Paris-Roubaix with, uh, with the cycling podcast and obviously, you know, Alison Jackson, my teammate won, which made it an even more special day. But just being there kind of in the in the paddock and um, speaking with everybody and everybody sort of, you know, yeah, reminding myself that I was part of this community, that I did have a place in this community and that everybody, you know, people cared and that they, you know, wanted me to come back. That was a, a really, really nice thing. And then also when I when I did actually come back as well, um, just had so many well wishes. And I just, yeah, I want to thank everybody. A lot of a lot of friends of the podcast and listeners of the podcast who've been incredibly supportive and um, yeah. I really appreciate it. So thank you. Well, I'm sure your team can't, you know, can't wait to have you back because you're such a good omen for them. I mean, you turn up to Paris-Roubaix <laughs> and Alison Jackson wins. You, you actually race at Joe Martin and Lauren Stephen wins. <laughs> so, it, you know, that's a 100% rate for the races that you turned up at, Lizzie. Uh, yeah, well, I'm off to Belgium this weekend. Dvarsdor um, to this this Sunday and Dvarsdor uh, to Hagland the following Saturday. So... There'll be very different races, very fast, um, very flat circuit for the first race and uh, really, really good training opportunity for me to to get some high speed in the legs. I expect, I fully expect it to be a shock to the system, but it's exactly what I need to, to get me to where I want to be. So can't wait. Lizzie, I'm going to maybe embarrass you, but I, I've, I'm quite sure that anybody listening to this and who's listened to your journey through all of this will take such inspiration from not only you and how and what you've done, but how you've done it and the positivity that you've kept. The reason I think we all do this is because we love the sport, but also because of the power of stories and the power of example and of inspiration. And 
you're doing all of this for you. I know you're doing it for your own reasons, but I hope you realize that along the way you will have inspired and empowered so many people going through their own battles and their own struggles because it's like you said just a moment ago when you went back to Pirate Bay and realized that you're part of a community. When you're struggling, you don't feel that. You feel completely alone and you feel completely in the dark. And I think it's really important for people to remember that there is something on the other side of that. And, you know, you, you've given that just by just by keeping going and by keeping your voice in a podcast when I know there were lots of times you couldn't really be bothered, you know, and you just wanted to crawl away and hide away. So I just want you to know that you've done yourself proud, which you will know, but you've done all of us proud. And it's it's a real, real, real joy to watch you coming back again. I'm so proud that you've been able to do that. I'm so happy for you you've been able to do that. Thank you, Ola. Yeah, I think there's a saying, isn't it, that after the rain comes the rainbows and uh, or you have to have rain to have rainbows. And like sometimes it feels like it might rain for two and a half years um, constantly. It did. It and did. then thunder and lightning and flood and all of those things. But eventually that rainbow will come. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you, you will eventually get through it. So and I feel like I'm finally, finally on the other side. So, yeah, thank you, everybody, for your support. Yeah. Also, rainbow will come. That's just making me think you've got world championship ambitions <laughs> right now. I mean, it might be like the 2027 world champs, but that'll that's do. Fine. That'll do. That's us. fine by me. Waiting for the long haul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you both, um, and thank you for sharing your experience with us, Lizzie. And and as Orla says, you know, being so um, honest and uh, you know being your authentic self every time you come on the podcast, because I think it's given people a real fantastic insight. But thank you both for your company. Um, today and you know when we meet next actually um, it's going to be we're going to have the Tour de, Tour de Suisse will have happened and but we'll be getting very excited and uh, by next episode getting uh, looking forward to the Giro Rosa the uh, well I think um, she, you know the Giro Rosa is kind of you know she's the oldest Grand the Tour still the longest longest the race on the calendar is. yeah 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 um, so we're going to be looking ahead uh, to that next time we meet so Uh, Thank you very much, Lizzie, and good luck uh, in your Belgian adventure. Thank you, Rose. And thank you very much, Ola. Thank you both. Lovely to see you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, 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 you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.